this is my first time of speaking up here since I've uh, been coming here on a regular basis. And uh, it reminds me of a story I heard, I believe to be a true story, uh, about um, uh, a bus driver. It was his first day on the buses in this area. I believe it's a true story. And uh, uh, he, went, he was given this rather old bus. And out he went in it, and he did his uh, picking up and passengers and everything was all right, until he got nearly to Rough Common. And uh, he was approaching it from the A2 and up that windy steep road. And, the, um, and it turned out the bus couldn't get up the hill. And uh, eventually he tried everything. He had to get the, the passengers to get out and walk and meet them at the top. So when he got back to the bus station, he was pretty cross. And, uh, but it turned out all the others were waiting for him. That was his initiation ceremony, you know. <laughs> and they knew the bus couldn't get to the top of the hill full of passengers, which is why they had given it to him. And uh, a couple of weeks later, or about a week later, he was doing a bus run, a much nicer bus from our school, which is how we picked up the story from the school at which I work. And so the, uh, the first time here, you want me to speak about the faith of Samson. <laughs> <coughs> but let's see if we can get to the top of the hill without you not having to walk and meet me up there, okay? <coughs> I hope that will work. I want to just read a little bit from uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 32. And to start with, I just want to read that word 16, it says, Samson. That's my reading, okay? <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 32, word, uh, sorry, word 17, I miscounted, word 17, uh, Samson. But it's good to put the things in context. And the Hebrews 11 starts by saying, now faith is being sure what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, we, we sort of get muddled up with those words. But it's being sure of something that's coming in the future. And it's being certain of something we can't see. Okay? Now, I want to try and illustrate this if I can. I need some room to start with for this bit, I think. Now, I want uh, one or two volunteers who are not too large. <laughs> uh, who, who might we have? Someone that can cope with it? Oh, oh, there's you two. I didn't see that. Do you want to come out first? Should, should we hide this one so he doesn't see what happens? Yeah. By the way, which of you two is the, bra- is the bravest? <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, you, you, you go and hide the other side of that door. Just, cl- just stay the other side of the door and, clo- and close it. It's no good trying to look for the keyhole. It's not that sort of keyhole. All right, okay. Now, what I want you to do is very, very simple. It's not painful at all. Now, I want you to stand there and look at that window over there. Okay? Good. <coughs> now, in a minute, what I'm going to get you to do is to lift your arms up. Keep the body straight. All right? So don't bend or anything, otherwise it all goes wrong. And then I want you to drop backwards and I will catch you. Have you got that? Do you understand what we're doing? Okay. Yeah. That's why you mustn't know, you see. And, and I will catch you. Now, what, you, what is very hard is not to take a step backwards when you think I'm not going to catch you, because I am. 
Now you trust me, do you? <laughs> I mean, we, we can have your dad out here if you like. Would you trust him more? No, you wouldn't trust him any more than me. Okay, right, now this is quite hard. I meant to bring a prize for you. I'll, I'll get it for you later in the week. But I forgot. Arms out, and then you count to three, and I will catch you. <laughs> oh. Do you want to do I have another try? <coughs> Just don't step back. I will keep. Oh. It's ever so hard. Just keep looking at the window. Don't look at them. They'll only put you off. Come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. Give it a try. Do you want to have another go or not? Now that's quite alright. You had a go. Like, go and get your brother. Go and get your brother. Come in. So, now see if you can. It's very hard. It is very hard. Now what I want you to do is look at that wall. I want you to put your, arm, your arms out. And I want you to keep your body stiff. And if you can, it's very hard. And a lot of children can't do it. And I understand that. Now look at that wall. Don't look at your mum. She'll only put you off. Okay. And I want you to keep your body stiff and just fall back and I will catch you. Try not to step back if you can manage it. All right? Oh, give it, give it one more go. It, not everybody can do it, you see. Oh, never mind. You, you gave it a try. That's fine. <coughs> do you want to join your brother? And you, you're going to get for your club now. Uh, thank you for trying. That was wonderful. It's ever so hard to. I couldn't do it. I know that much. But you see, faith... Oh. <laughs> yeah, husband can do that one. Faith is being certain, uh, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, you see, uh, and that's the first thing I want you to know. There's four things I want you to learn. What is faith? Faith is holding on something you can't see or something that's coming in the future and you can't see it yet, something invisible or something you can't see yet, when there's nothing else to hold on to. There's a, a lovely poster I saw, I should have asked Paul or Kate to bring it across, I'm sure they've still got it in the shop over in Canterbury. And it shows a cat just hanging on a bar. And it says, it says uh, faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. Faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. So what is faith? Well, it's simply being sure of what's coming that hasn't arrived yet. And being sure, certain of things that are invisible. You can't see them, but you believe that they're there. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Those boys didn't find it easy. They really struggled over that. And I think they were good to come and try, and that, that was lovely. And I appreciate their efforts in that, and I will tell them that again later. But then, uh, to set it in its closer context, I'd like to read a few more, a little bit more of Hebrews 11. And I want to start at verse 32. Hebrews 11 and verse 32. 
And the writer says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. I do not have time to tell you. That could be my excuse, and we could just finish now, couldn't we? But um, we, we won't. We, we'll carry on a bit longer. Why at this particular point did Isaiah run out of time? Did he only employ the scribe for so many hours, and he was, you know, getting he had a bit more to say, and he couldn't go into more detail? Uh, I don't know. Was he running out of paper? I don't know. But I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I am reminded of the lovely story of the man who was, who was explaining on the radio some years ago what it was like to make a 78 record. He'd been a singer, you see, and by the, um, for those young people, 78 records is what you had before you had vinyl. For those very young people, vinyl is what you had before you had CDs. Beyond that, I'm a bit lost. And uh, he said you used to sing into this great tube and used to be brought onto a wax disc and other copies were made from that and so on. He said, and the man was on a little window. He'd give you a signal when to start singing. And if he didn't sing fast enough, he'd open the little window and said, too late, we've run out of, uh, run out of wax. You'd have to start over again, you see. I don't think it was like that. There was a particular point at which he stopped. And I think it's important to notice this. Hebrews is a book about people that are on the move. Although it talks to the Jewish people and uh, about their sacrifices and things, it's always in relation to the tabernacle, never in relation to the temple. And uh, the people up to verse, uh, the end of verse 31 were involved when the people of Israel and the people before them were on the move. But by the time you get to verse 32, they're settled in the land. Do you see the difference? They're settled in the land. Now, we have to try and remember that we are people on the move. We're not here forever. I was, I was building some cupboards some years ago in the conservatory, and I was building them mainly to hide up some pipes and things, but they're useful as cupboards as well. But because it was against the wall and against the city, only but a front... And the bottom on it, and I thought, that's a shame, I can't take these with me when I move. And I thought, well, it doesn't matter anyway, because when the life ends, I can't take it with me, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We need to be a people on the move. On the move. We're on the way to heaven. At least I trust you are. And if you're not yet, perhaps you need to exercise faith in Jesus and repentance in him. So it was a people on the move, and he rushed through these fairly quickly. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and so on. Now, Samson was an interesting character. He, he tended to, uh, to mess up more than once. 
And I'd like to read to you some of Samson's story. I don't want to read it all. It's too long to read. And uh, I want to read from Judges in chapter 14. In fact, I'll just start at the end of verse 13. I'm not going to deal with the birth of Samson and the events before that. Because that was really the faith of Manoah and his wife, not the faith of Samson. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy named Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanathan, between Zorah and Ashtel. Chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to her, Get her for me. She is the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyard of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. (coughs) Then he went down and talked with a woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to Maria, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands, and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for the bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given thirty companions. Tell me a riddle, Samson said to him. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes, If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments, 30 sets of clothes. Does this hear your riddle, they said. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For the three days they could not give the answer. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, coach your husband in to explain the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me, you don't really love me, you've given me a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Now husbands, notice you're not the first one. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied, so why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, 
What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and power he went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings and gave the clothes to those who explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. What a character, what a character. What a mess he made of his life. Someone has pointed out he was born uh, between two places, or the Spirit of God moved in him between two places. And at the very end of his life, it said, and they brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael. He was neither, he was between two, he was neither one thing nor the other. He was neither one thing nor the other. And so he continues on through his life with great physical strength and the Lord using him to subdue the Philistines but with complete lack of wisdom. Why on earth did he tell those men the riddle? Asked them to explain it. I have no idea. Then why did he tell his wife? And then it goes on and his life seems to go from disaster to disaster. Perhaps you, perhaps you know people whose lives go on like that. We had a boy at school some years ago and his life used to go like that and he's a lot older now, he's in his mid-twenties and uh, he settled down, I'm glad to say. But he sort of went through that phase in his life. Samson seemed to go through it all the time. This particular boy went, to, went down to Canterbury bus station to get the bus to Whitstable, saw what he thought was Whitstable on the front of the bus, jumped on it, and after a bit realised it was going completely the wrong direction. So he got the bus driver to let him get off, and he had to walk back to Canterbury and get the right bus to Whitstable. I think, from the direction he went, what it said on the front of the bus was Whitfield and not Whitstable. starts the same. But for those of you who know the geography in Whitfield is just before you get to Dover. And he was trying, he was trying to get to, to Whitstable, you see. So his life seemed to be like that through the whole of school. But I'm glad to say he settled down. He came to me when he was 15. And he said, I'm fed up with school, he said, because they, they gave him one of, one, uh, they gave it to me to take special care of. I don't know why I get caught with these, but... He came to me, I'm fed up with school. As soon as I'm 16, I'm going to leave and join the army. I said, what do you want to leave school for? He said, I'm fed up of people telling me what to do. <laughs> so I said, so you're going to join the army because you're fed up of people telling you what to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the penny dropped, you see. But there we are. But Samson went on from there and he loses his bride to a friend, as we read at the end of that chapter. In the next chapter, we, we realise that, we find that he, he caught 300 foxes to set light to the cornfields. And they don't like that, so he gets and uh, kills the Philistines, a thousand Philistines, with a jawbone of an ass. And then he goes, in chapter 16, to a prostitute in Gaza. He 
Uh, they find out he's there. They, they want to get him for what he's done to those thousand men and to the 30 others he's killed and to others too. And uh, during the night he gets up and he, he goes out to the city gates and he lifts them up and he carries them to the top of the hill. Such superhuman super strength. But he's been to a, a prostitute. He has no wisdom. He has no wisdom. He is, his life is in a mess. And then in chap, uh, chapter 16, uh, he gives um, the secret of his strength to Delilah. How foolish he was. Uh, she tried him for many days and eventually uh, the secret of the strength was given. It was in his hair, for his hair was not to be cut. Verse 17 of chapter 16 says this, So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used in my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as other men. Then when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with a silver reward in their hands. Having put him to sleep in her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. She wo- he woke from his sleep and thought, I will go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grind, grind in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And he regained some of his strength, but he regained nothing of his vision. He never regained his vision, but he regained his strength. And my second lesson, the first one, in case you've forgotten, was what is faith? You might like to think about that in your cell groups if you're looking at this. What is faith? What does it mean for us today? And my second thought point is this. God uses people who have messed up. Do not think that the preachers that stand here have never made mistakes in their lives and never gone wrong. They have. In all sorts of different ways. But God uses people who have messed up. I just want to give you a few examples. There was Noah. Now, God used him, even though he got drunk and ended up naked in his tent. Abraham, among other things, he lied about his wife. Isaac also lied about his wife. Jacob deceived his father, cheated Laban, etc., etc., etc. with Jacob. He was messing up all the time. Joseph, a proud and boastful young man who needed to learn humility. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. 
and Gideon doubted God big time. You say, Derek, where did you get that list of names from? I'll tell you where I got it from, Hebrews and chapter 11. There were one or two I didn't mention because we don't know of any particular sin they did. But I suspect they were, there were sins there as well that we don't know about. And God uses people who have messed up. Now, I don't want you to go messing up your life so God can use you. Don't get it the, down the wrong way. Sometimes, you know, you can, get the, you can get the answer and you think that's the question. They thought for a long time that if children exercised more, they'd be thinner. You see? Because they notice that fat children exercise less and thin children exercise more. So I thought if we can get everyone to exercise more, they're going to be thinner. They now realise that you have to do a huge amount of exercise to lose a tiny bit of weight. They now realise that perhaps it's the other way round, that it's thin people exercise because they find it easier. And fat people don't because they find it more difficult. You see, and it's actually round the other way to what they thought. (coughs) things, Things are changing around there. If you want God to use you, start with a clean life. But it doesn't mean to say that everybody that God is using has got a sorted out life. Don't think it means that at all. Now a more modern example is given by a man called Adrian Plass. Some of you would have read his books. He's, uh, he's an author, he's written a good number of books and uh, he he's, goes out preaching in this country and elsewhere. And he said, I've just imagined, now it is an imagination, it's not a divine revelation, he said, I imagine what it might have been in heaven a little while back. There's all the angels sitting around discussing the people that are Christians on the earth. On the earth. One opens the book and says, I think we'll do with Adrian Plast today. What has anybody got to report? Well, he's messed up on his marriage. He's been rotten to his wife. Somebody else said he's been rotten to his kids as well. Someone else said he's still doing it. I was down there yesterday, he's still doing it. So what are we going to do? And they look at each other and they all go. But there was a person at the head of the table who hadn't spoken yet. Says Adrian Plass in his imagination. person at the head of the table who hadn't spoken yet. His name was God. He says, no, he said, I think what we will do is we'll make him an international speaker and author. And all the angels closed their book and said, God, he's doing it again. He's doing it again. Lovely sort of story. It's a fable, you know. It's just imagination, really. But it's the way God works. He's doing it again. So my second lesson, God uses people who have messed up. My third lesson, uh, third point I want you to learn is this. It's about Samson's prayers. Now, as far as I can read, and I might have missed something, but I don't think so, Samuel prayed two prayers that are recorded. And one is in Judges chapter 15 and verse 18, uh, when he'd uh, killed a thousand men with the jawbones of an ass, we pick up the story in Judges 15, 18. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory 
Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called on Hakor, and it is still there in their high. Simple prayer. He asked for water. Now I'm going to have a glass of water too, but there's one over here, so I won't have to pray about it. Just pray when I get down to reach it, I can get back up again. A simple prayer for a glass, uh, for, for, for a drink of water. But he didn't have a simple prayer for wisdom in his life too. But the prayers he asked of God, God answered both of them. But the other prayer was, was quite different. It was just at the end of his life. His eyes had been put out and uh, he was brought up to make sport for the Philistines. And uh, he, as his hair began to grow, so his strength began to return. And they took him out and they stood him between two pillars in their temple. Let me read the story to you. It's reasonably short. It's in chapter 16 and verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate saying, Our God has delivered Samson our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, about, uh, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them. With his right hand on one, his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. One prayer was for water that he might live. One prayer was for strength that he might die. And both prayers were answered. Now God doesn't always answer prayers in the way that we expect. 
but be cautious about what you say when God's listening, because sometimes he answers prayers that you actually hadn't quite thought about. He might answer. And uh, I want to bring just uh, three or four little examples. My wife has a friend that I met a little while ago, his name I've forgotten, and uh, when he wasn't a Christian, he went to a big uh, evangelistic service, and at the end, people were invited to become Christians, and he said no. He said, if God wants me to become a Christian, he's going to have to hit me with a bolt of lightning first. Okay? Now, you want to be careful what you say. Because on the way home, in the car, his car was hit by a bolt of lightning. And he did become a Christian. He said, what could I do after that? What else could I do? (laughs) Be careful, God is listening. There was a London City Mission who went to be with the Lord a year or two back, and his name was Jimmy White, and... As, as you do in London, he was spending time, too much time, he felt, sitting in a traffic jam in London, in his car, trying to get somewhere. And he simply said, Lord, you can get me out of this as soon as you like. He said, afterwards, I should have kept my mouth shut. He said, within 48 hours, I wasn't in the car anymore. It had been written off in an accident. He said, I was unharmed, the car was a write-off, and I was standing in the queue for a bus. <laughs> he said, I should have kept my mouth shut. Be careful what you say when God is listening. Be careful. There were two ladies at a little church in Bexley Heath many years ago, and they were <coughs> arguing, and they would not get on. They really wouldn't. And the elders realised it was a real problem. And uh, they'd spoken to them both and individually and nothing seemed to shift the situation. And they knew it wasn't right and so they very simply said, we can do nothing else, we must pray about it. And so they did. Within 12 months, those two Christian ladies were home, they died and God to heaven. Be careful because God is listening and maybe will answer the prayers in a way that you don't expect. That's my third thought. You might like to think about in your cell group, the way God answers prayer. Be careful. God is listening. My last one, for my last one, we need to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Because it, it, it's very easy. Someone's moved Hebrews. Where's it gone? Oh, here it is before James. That's fine. Oh, it's still there. I keep th- Hebrews is one book. I keep thinking people have moved it. You know, I can never find the thing. It's always where it shouldn't be. <coughs> Logically, it is where it should be. I'll explain it afterwards if you want to know why. But after chapter 11 comes chapter 12. And chapter 12 of Hebrews starts like this. And uh, we're apparently we're not being privileged to have a week on chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, so I thought I'd better throw a bit in today, uh, in case we are getting the wrong idea. Because God doesn't want us, us to uh, 
uh, model ourselves on Samson or David or Moses or any of those people because God says they're, they're, they've let me down from time to time. They've let me down. By the way, I want you to notice, read through Hebrews 11 and watch out for all the things people did wrong. There aren't any. Nobody's sins from the Old Testament in Hebrews 11 are remembered there. And that's very important. Very, very important. Sometimes you've done things wrong and you've messed up. You think, will they remind me of this when they get to heaven? And the answer is, no, they won't. That's a whole subject in itself. But I just want to say, no, they won't. They will be burned up as if by fire. But chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin, and I believe that to be the sin of unbelief, and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not marked out for them, marked out for us, for you, for me. Let's run that race. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who endured, uh, sorry, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All these peoples in chapter 11 are witnesses. But they're not the witnesses to wit- on, onto which we are to focus in our Christian lives. Chapter 12 makes it very clear. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the one that's done it properly. Don't take the people in the Old Testament as your example. Not the people in the New Testament either, because most of them messed up at some stage or other. Don't take them as your example. Take Jesus and nobody else. Look to Jesus. You see, he's the other end. These people, as it were, are on the side of the track, shouting, go on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And away you go, and you did it. But fix on Jesus, he's the one that's at the end. He's the one that always went down the straight middle of the track and never went off. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Don't look to Samson. Don't think, well, if he got away with it, I'm sure I can. He's not our example. Jesus is. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you've given us the true story of of men of old in the Bible. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you put their sins and their weaknesses down as well. Otherwise, we'd feel so helpless and hopeless. And yet, Lord, we're told not to look to them, to look to Jesus. 
Help us, Father, this week to keep our eyes upon him. That we might run down the middle of the track and know that we're going to be at home soon with him. Father, speak to us through what has been said. Take away of anything that's not of yourself. And may our lives be fixed on him, we ask. For your name's sake. Amen.